there's not many asset classes that could save you the way that Bitcoin can. And I think people are just lazy and they're not paying attention to what's happening. Hello there from El Salvador, the Bedford of Latin America. How are you all doing? Are you crushing it? You having a good week? Looks like Bitcoin is ranging. Looks like we're preparing for another leg up. Ignore those spiky ETH heads telling you about ultrasound money. It's all bullshit. Just focus on Bitcoin. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini and Yorkshire Tea. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got an interview with Peter Doyle. But before that, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. And today we kick off with Exodus Wallet, who I am using as my mobile and desktop wallet for Bitcoin. And somebody asked me why I'm using Exodus Wallet and how I'm using Exodus Wallet. And as you know, I was debanked. Lloyd's Bank cut me off. They closed all my bank accounts down. But it doesn't matter because I have been increasingly using Bitcoin to run my business. And I am actually thinking about how can I do this for Bitcoin? How can I go for Bitcoin for the business? Something I would definitely be investigating. But when Exodus Wallet reached out to me, they said, can we sponsor the show? I had to play with the wallet. I was like, this is everything I need. I can do all my incoming and outgoing Bitcoin. And I can record what it's for. I can give it to my accountant and have all the information she needs. I love the wallet. The UX crushes it. But if you want to check it out, please head over to exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Google or Apple app stores. Next up, we have Casa, who is the very best in Bitcoin security. Now, if you're sat on a decent stack of Bitcoin, if you're having a good year and you aren't custodying it yourself, or you've got it all on a single wallet, it's probably time for you to check out Casa. And listen, I know what you're thinking. You're like, do I really need this? This is going to be a pain to set up. Maybe some of you are thinking, what the hell is a multi-sig wallet? I know. I had all the same questions, but honestly, it could not have been easier to set up. And you get so much peace of mind by having a Casa multi-sig solution because a multi-sig wallet allows you to custody your Bitcoin, but only move by signing transactions from multiple wallets, ones which you distribute into different locations. And that is going to protect you from a range of mistakes, errors, and vulnerabilities. And if you've got questions about this, you can reach out to me. Some of you do. You drop me DMs or you drop me emails. I'm more than happy to answer questions as I'm a very happy Casa customer. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. And next up, we have sportsbet.io. And as you know, we've got a competition coming very soon. It's going to be announced in Miami. It's a massive competition. You're going to love it. Now, sportsbet.io is the best place for online gaming because they love Bitcoin and they accept Bitcoin. They are also the front of shirt sponsor for Southampton and the betting partner for Arsenal. So if you're watching Premier League football and you're seeing Bitcoin in stadiums or on that shirt, it's because of sportsbet.io. Now, with sportsbet.io, you have every market you could possibly be interested in. They cover football, tennis, American sports, motorsports. They even have esports. They have every sport you could think of. And for new customers, they always have a range of promotions available. If you want to find out more, head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. Okay, so onto the show today, and I have Peter Doyle, the co-founder and MD of Horizon Kinetics, and we are getting into value investing and inflation. Now, this was an interview I was keen to make a little while back. Someone reached out to me on email, and they said, you have to get Peter on the pod and they sent me over to an interview he did with Joe Roberts where he killed it. So I reached out straight away and asked him to come on. Now, I actually recorded this interview a couple of weeks ago towards the end of April, but I really wanted to hold this one back as I felt like it would be a perfect follow-up to Monday's show with Lynn Alden. So if you haven't listened to the Lynn show yet, please do make sure you go and check that out. But basically, we took a deep dive into inflation and where it is showing up in the markets. In this interview with Peter, we again look at inflation and how it relates to Bitcoin and modern value investing. It was a really cool conversation. I know you're going to love it. But if you do want to reach out to me, if you've got any questions, you can jump into my Telegram group or hit me up on hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Okay, enjoy the show and I'll speak to you later. Peter, how are you? I'm well. How are you, Peter? Uh, I'm good. Good to talk to another Peter. We are usually the smartest people in the room. Should, should I go by Pierre and you go by Peter? This way people know. We'll do that. Are you, are you mildly French? No, I'm not at all. I should probably go with Pedro. People like to call me Pedro. But it's a bit of an insult normally to me. So I'll go Pedro. You can go Pierre. <laughs> we'll work our three, way through. Listen, great to talk to you. I, I, I don't know how much you know about this being set up, but somebody reached out to me and they said, you have to interview Peter Doyle. And they sent me an interview you did. And I can't remember the show, but it was with a guy called Joe. Um, Joe Roberts. 
yes it. And yep. I was absolutely fascinated with it. And I immediately replied and I said, yes, I need to talk to Peter Doyle because I have, I don't know how much you know about my show. I try and keep things simple. I try and get the smartest people in the room, but explain things so anyone can understand. And we have a lot of Bitcoin people talking about Bitcoin, but it's good to get somebody with a lot of experience of investing who is also interested in Bitcoin and and see how that fits into the general landscape. And that's what you kind of did with Joe. So I, I'm sorry if we repeat a lot of it, but that's what I want to do with you today. Okay, have, have, wherever you want to take the interview. I'm happy to give you the best answers I can. All right, well, I won't ask you to tell me all about Horizon Kinetics yet. And I won't ask you to tell me too much about your background because I'm sure that's the first question you get everywhere. But what I would like as a starting point is, do you have a general kind of investment thesis that you use as a basis for how you plan investing? Uh, yes, I do. And yes, we do as a firm. Um, I, would, I would define us as classical value investors. And what that means is that the investments that we make, we want the underlying business operations to determine our success or failure. And we want the, with the passage of time, the businesses to compound and ultimately capture those results. So there's difference between modern value investing and classical. Modern value investing is you buy some undeveloped land somewhere and you think somebody's going to come in at some point in the future and pay you a higher price. There's no operating business to move that intrinsic value higher with the passage of time. We're looking for something that has intrinsic value, it's going to grow its intrinsic value, and it just happens to be mispriced. What, what kind of investments are they? Are these equity investments generally? Generally, and equity investments, but we look at the complete capital structure. Um, a lot of times, uh, the fixed income market is saying something very different than the equity market, and you want to know about that. Um, primarily because the fixed income market doesn't have a lot of upside upside other than collecting their coupon and getting their principal back, and they pay more attention than the equity side. The equity side tends to be a little bit more bullish and more optimistic. So there is sometimes a disconnect, and when that disconnect occurs, you want to be well aware of that. And, and many times the distressed bonds are a much better investment than the equity, uh, so why not take advantage of that? So this is where I... I tend to try and keep things uh, nice and easy for the people listening. Somebody li listening to this might not even know what a, a fixed income. Uh, are these tend do these tend to be bonds, government bonds, corporate bonds? What where you've got Cor a guaranteed return? Bonds. bonds that are issued by corporations. They could be straight bonds. They could be convertible bonds, meaning they have a feature where they could convert into the equity of the stock with the passage of time. Uh, but generally, corporate. Yeah. Okay. And uh, but you don't. You don't tend to invest in, say, government bonds. Is that not an opportunity? Is that something that's kept maybe more for pensions and annuities? Yeah, so we might. We, you know, we manage money on behalf of high net worth individuals and corporations and endowments and pensions. So there might be a need, um, an income need, a component, or there might be a need for our near-term cash needs that we would put it into treasuries. But generally, that's not what we do. That's not what we Okay. So... How has the last, let's say, how has the last 14 months been? Uh, we've done extraordinarily well in the last 14 months. Um, I kind of hate saying that because I know the rest of the world, a lot of the rest of the world is struggling. Uh, but if you've been on the right side of the all the liquidity that's been injected into the market and you own financial assets, you've done surprisingly well. Within that world, we, were, we happen to be in a lot of the right investments, so our portfolios are up very substantially. Because you, coincidentally, the timing was right, and that was fortunate, or because you made moves when the pandemic hit because you were preparing for it? So um, we were gradually becoming concerned about the debt situation globally and the okay. debt situation in the United States. And we were starting to see that there was a mispricing in hard assets, in commodities, et cetera, and we were shifting over there. The world really woke up to that reality uh, with the outbreak of COVID, and we were in the right place at the right time, and they, those stocks have moved up very substantially. We, we still think they have a lot of room to run, but uh, you know they've done incredibly well over the last six to nine months and even a little bit longer than that. And I guess, therefore, you're, you're even more concerned now about the state of debt being held by governments 
around the world, so specifically the US and Europe and such? Yeah, so the, the way we see the world, there's really three main problems. There's a debt crisis or debt problem. There's a money printing problem, uh, but that's really an outgrowth of the debt problem. And then there's a valuation problem for a lot of assets. So it's a very tricky time. Um, and we're, we're trying to navigate that in a way that we think is best. And we think that the really only viable option that governments have is to debase the money. And as a result of that, you want to prepare yourself for inflation. Doesn't mean it has to come, but you want securities that could do well, maybe extraordinarily well if that environment occurs, and they could actually do well even if that environment does not occur. Okay, well, we can test my understanding here. You're saying the only real option the government has is to essentially print their way out of the, their debt issues. So I guess what you're saying is because interest rates are so low, they've got no real ammo left there. And if they were to raise interest rates, that would be a disaster for the economy. And therefore, they still have to pay back their debts, but only nominally. So if they print money, they can print their way out of it. And therefore, you, I, the consumer, the saver, is essentially paying off the government debt through inflation. Yeah, so they... The best option, very close. The best option, right? They they could they could default, which is not really an option for most countries. Mm-hmm. They could do austerity programs, which is not really an option for many of the politicians, and people will rebel against that as well. Or they could basically try to pay you back in cheaper dollars and nominal nominally work their way out of this with the passage of time. And that's that's the best option that they have. So. You know, I think most investors are waking up to that reality and the money supply, not only here in the United States, but around the world for almost every country has grown exponentially in the last year. And it's a problem. And you're starting to see it really trickle into prices of goods and services. Um, So my guess is that you're going to see a lot more of that in the coming months and uh, years. Okay, let me ask you something. And you you might not have an opinion on this. Um, You say it's the only option they really have. Is that the only option they have uh, in terms of historically, that's what a government has to do whilst trying to retain power? Or is that ethically the only thing they can do? Like, is there a more ethical option of digging their way out of these holes? So um, I'm not even sure it's a question of ethics or not. I think it's, it's just a, in the past, I think governments did not want to confront their issues and they didn't allow the necessary pain for the excess to to get wiped out, and they move the the kind of the liability from corporations and individuals to the balance sheets of the of the government or the governments in the in this case, and um, so now they don't really have many good options other than to debase the currency in order to make that debt burden more manageable for themselves. Do you, do you think people really understand inflation? I I don't because I try and talk to my friends about it. Yeah, when I'm trying to when I'm trying to sell the Bitcoin idea to them, uh, and I start talking about inflation, and, and firstly, nobody seems to care. They seem to think it's a natural part of the economy, and that's actually it's a sign of growth. Yeah, so the, everyone thinks in nominal terms; they don't think in real terms. And you know, you can let's say you get a twenty percent return on your investment, uh, but they debase the dollar in our in this case uh, by twenty five percent. A year from now, your dollars that you now have, 25% more, doesn't buy you as much uh, that, it, that it did a year earlier. So they will, people will, will begin to understand that as they see whether it's at the pumps filling up their uh, tanks, uh, whether it's putting on a home ex- extension and you, the price of lumber, uh, the price of natural gas, the price of oil, et cetera. That's going to start coming through the economy uh, very significantly in our opinion. Yeah, and and is the inflation driven uh, only by the the increase in the money supply, or is it in part driven by the fact because there's an, another situation at the moment where a lot of people have been locked down, they haven't been able to go out and spend any money, and I know a lot of friends who've said, well, we're just doing work on our houses, you know, we're improving our house, we're uh, looking at spending the money in a different way. Is that is that a different kind of inflation that's just driven by demand? So, so there can be some of that, uh, no question about it. But I would say it's even more than that. Um, okay. Really, I, I don't, I, I'm going to term it maybe uh, in, in an unkind way, but the Davos crowd, you know, they want okay. to 
limit hydrocarbons. They want to limit the harvesting of forests, et cetera. All, all noble goals. But when you do that, if you don't have the supply to meet the demand, that causes inflation. And that's really what we're seeing now. So there's been a lack of investment across many commodities for the last 12 years. And the demand continues to grow because the world moves forward. And yet the mm -hmm. supply is not there. So you're starting to see commodity prices really go up very dramatically. And that's a result of ESG investing, pressure from politicians, pressures from environmental groups, et cetera. So it's everyone wants a clean environment. Everyone wants a clean, you know, to be able to open, turn on their taps and get a clean glass of water. But there's a cost to that. Um, and if you're not paying attention to the supply side of it, suddenly it can come back and you can end up with a lot of inflation. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm, I'm looking at a, a retweet by Michael Saylor yesterday, and, and it highlights commodity prices over the last year. Lumber is up 265%, gasoline 182%, Brent crude 163%, copper 84%, silver 65%, sugar 59%. It's like it's a big list here. Gold. Gold's only up 3%. Um, but I'm looking at things, for example, like the rising energy costs. But my, I am also fully aware that those prices dumped a year ago. So th which of those prices are accurate to look at? Because um, if I see a big jump in the price of uh, uh, Brent crude, well, I'm also aware there was a, a massive drop in the price a year ago. So that's correct. The, the price of Brent or West Texas intermediate oil is roughly the same as where it was going into the crisis, COVID crisis. The, what, what really people should be paying attention to as it pertains to oil is what's going to happen in the next six months or so. And if the demand comes back as the world opens up, as you and your friends want to get out, and as I do, and we want to travel and, and, and go out to restaurants on a more regular basis, what is that going to do to the demand for energy? And is the supply going to be there to meet that demand? And the issue that we have is that the supply is probably not going to be there because of all of the lack of investment, the, mm -hmm. the shuttering in of projects, et cetera, that are, as a result of COVID. And we think that you can see a real rise in the price of oil. And if that occurs, that affects virtually everything in the economy. There's something like 6,000, 6,000 to 7,000 products that are based on petroleum. And you start paying a higher price for petroleum, it's going to show up on the selling price of plastics or asphalt or golf balls, you name it. There's so many different products. So that's the world we think we're about to enter. Um, so to answer your question, the real inflation has not really necessarily occurred yet because oil right. really dictates how much inflation is going to be. Is that because of transport costs increase with an increase in uh, the um, no, oil. it's it's really the lack of investment. So all okay. of the major oil producers over the last decade plus have not really replaced their current year's production. So every year they're basically finding less and less oil and the demand continues to grow. Now, there's been a move and there's trying to be a shift onto renewables, but renewables require a lot of energy as well, just to basically make the solar panels, the wind turbines, et cetera, to get all of the necessary commodities that you need to do that. Um, so the demand for hydrocarbons is going to continue to grow. It's a question of how quickly it comes back. And then the real question is, if the supply is not there, the correcting mechanism is the price. And that's when you could, where things could get very interesting and very ugly. And then you don't know how it really trickles through or rifles its way through the economy. See, this is where it gets kind of interesting to talk about Bitcoin as well. And I do want to get into your Bitcoin thesis, because I don't know how much you have looked at Bitcoin. I know you have a, a history that goes back to 2015, and we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, but I don't know how much time you you spend along, like looking at the more reading about or listening to podcasts about the more philosophical side of Bitcoin or the Austrian economic side. But but a number of things that are playing out in the market are things that have been predicted by Bitcoiners. So it's a really interesting, really interesting time. Is Bitcoin just another in investment for you? Or, or like other Bitcoiners, have you been sucked down the Bitcoin rabbit hole and, and thinking wider about the economy and the role of the state and central banks? So initially, uh, my view was very narrow. And okay. I was looking at it as a from a supply and demand and from a greed standpoint, not necessarily on my part for greed, but I'm saying that 
the investment community is going to get behind this because the fee compression on a lot of other investment products was causing problems in profitability, and they're going to look for an alternative to get higher fees. So I thought that ultimately that the investment community, Wall Street, if you will, would get behind it. As I've come to learn and to listen to podcasts like yourself and other podcasts and listening to Michael Saylor, there's a whole, there's multiple dimensions to what Bitcoin is. And now I'm of the belief Mm. that the world really needs Bitcoin or some type of cryptocurrency that can't be debased at the whim of bankers or, or politicians. So to answer your question, I'm far, far down the rabbit hole and I'm Great. philosophically, I'm cheering it on uh, on a daily basis. Uh, and I, I really think it, it does and has the potential to fix a lot of the world's problems. So can we, can we go into this Bitcoin background? Because um, I've heard it before, but I want other people to tell the story of what happened in 2015 with your, was it a colleague or a business partner who presented you the white paper? So uh, my colleague is uh, Murray Stahl, and he's a, yeah. he's a brilliant, brilliant guy. Uh, he has a background, background in computer science and mathematics, and one of his hobbies is cryptography. So mm-hmm. somebody put on his desk uh, the Bitcoin white paper, and it sat there for a number of months. He finally came in one morning and said, you know what, I need to read this. I've been hearing some things about it. Let me, let me sit down and read it. So it's nine pages long, right? He reads mm-hmm. it. He immediately recognizes this is revolutionary. He gets up, he walks down to my office. I'm literally next to him. He tells me about it. And I would say within 90 seconds, I said, okay, if you're telling me that you think the security protocol is such that the blockchain itself will never be hacked and there's a finite supply, then ultimately the demand will overwhelm that supply and basic economics is the correcting mechanism is the price. And I said, I want in. The reason I could get up to speed that quickly is I can control my risk by the sizing of it. So thinking from a risk management standpoint, a portfolio manager standpoint, if I make it make the position a 1% position, people may think I'm a little nutty at the time. But even if it went to zero over the course of two years, three years, I'm losing 50 basis points, 30 basis points. It's a rounding error potentially in the portfolio. But in terms of what it meant from the upside, I never saw a an investment or an opportunity that had such asymmetric upside. And that I understood almost immediately. That didn't require a lot. I I was primed for that understanding. My broader understanding has come from listening to podcasts such as yours and Michael Saylor and thinking of it from more of a scientific standpoint and more of a, a, a kind of a battery in transporting wealth into the future without losing any of its charge. And, you know, what I find most interesting is that the people that I find easiest to understand tend to have an engineering background. And they just think about things more logically. And when you sit there and you listen to it, you know, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. And suddenly you're looking at it from a whole different perspective. Um, So I would say that, you know, my understanding, understanding, as I mentioned, was fairly narrow it's become much broader with the passage of time. And it, it really prevents you from being cheated for, of your time, which is the most precious thing in life, and your wealth, mm-hmm. which is also pretty important to most people. So when you commit to working and you get a paycheck, you want that money to basically be able to buy the things that you desire in life. And you don't want it to be debased in a way that now suddenly you've worked your whole life and you're on a fixed income and prices have risen so much because they've inflated the money stock so hot, so aggressively that you can't afford the things that you would hope to do. And that's, that's unfortunately the world I think we're entering. Um, so anyone that's on a fixed income um, from here going forward, I think is going to be in for a very unpleasant surprise. And they did nothing wrong. Um, and that's, that's unfortunate. And I, I think that's, that's going to cause some real problems throughout society around the world. I guess more so than anyone, it's people on a fixed income pension are going to be in some ways the worst position because they, I guess they assume they've retired. They've put their 40 years of work in. Um, they've planned their retirement based on the income they're having, and that's going to be debased quite heavily. Whereas at least if you're, I don't know, my age, 40, 42, 
you can go, okay, well, at least I can put another 20 years hard work in. I can try and you know, improve my skill set. I could maybe have a, you know, sec- like I've got opportunity. It's a pretty dire position for people with pensions. Yeah, absolutely. If you're on a fixed income and inflation comes back in a in a very aggressive manner, you're you're really trapped. You're you're going to be able to afford less. So you know you were hoping to travel, but now instead of traveling, you're going to devote all of your money to basically just your basic maintenance, your food, shelter, etc. And and the things that you wanted to do in life maybe now are out of your reach. Um, and that's that's really the problem with the inflation and the money printing, as as we see it. So do you, I mean, how bad do you envisage the inflation, inflation could get? Um, you know, it's, it's um, I think you're already seeing it on a, on a, yeah. in real time throughout the financial markets. You know, Dogecoin is $50 billion, <laughs> right? So it, they meme something into existence and has a $50 billion market capitalization. $50 billion is a staggering sum of money. Um, so mm-hmm. if, if, com- if confidence is lost in the currency, there's no telling where things could go. You know, what they might price a barrel of oil in. It might cost, you know, instead of 160, let's say, in more ordinary inflationary times, maybe they price it at $500 a barrel, $1,000 a barrel. No, nobody knows. That's, that's the real threat that is out there. So I listened to Max Kaiser, and Max Kaiser was kind of saying that the dollar could collapse by the end of the summer this year. If he would, if I would have listened to him, you know, a year ago, I would have thought he was out of his mind. Now I'm not. I'm saying it's it's not a zero probability. Um, I don't I don't think it's a high probability right now, but it's certainly not zero anymore. And you need to protect yourself against that um, probability. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't see it ended, uh, collapsing by the end of the summer. And I, I've known Max for a while, and he's been very critical of uh, the dollar and fiat currencies for a long time. He's a, obviously a big proponent of Bitcoin, but. Um, I think it's when he when he says in terms of collapse, how does how does a collapse actually happen? So, for example, we've seen uh, the currency in Lebanon collapse this year, but but there still is a currency there people use. It's just value took a big, I mean, what was it, twenty five fifty percent haircut overnight or almost? I, I'd have to look up the numbers. Is that what we're talking about in terms of a collapse? It's not the death. That, that's what you just, that's what you're talking about. The, so yeah. so people just lose confidence. You know the the. They say the dollar is backed by the full faith and credit of the United States, but what does that even mean? They're not going to give me part of Yellowstone Park if they, you know, nope. if they, no. So they're just going to, it means that you can pay your taxes with it. You can do certain things with it. But if people lose faith in it and they don't want to hold the dollar, they don't want to be paid in the dollar, you might have to end up saying, you know, what, what cost me $100 last year, now I want $300 in that. And, and the value of the dollar gets treated as if it's, it's monopoly money. Uh, in theory, that could happen. So that's, that's the concern that you have if, as, as this debt burden has grown. And I think they're well aware of it, and they're trying the best they can to, to navigate it without causing that lack of confidence to occur and, and, and keep the dollar sound. But there's now an alternative. Now you have this thing called Bitcoin and these other cryptocurrencies that are potentially a much better store of value and maybe people migrate ultimately to the Bitcoin standard, and that becomes the reserve, world's reserve currency, which I think is, is likely to occur given enough time. Next up, I talk to Peter more about value investing and inflation. But before that, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. Okay, let's talk about Gemini, my new exchange sponsor who I have been using for buying and selling Bitcoin. Actually, I haven't sold it. I keep saying that I haven't sold any of them. Why would you sell Bitcoin? We're in a bull market. What the hell are you doing? All this amazing bullish information. But I am using Gemini for buying Bitcoin, and I do it two ways. I do buy the dips on the app, but I have set up a DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin on the 1st and 15th of the month, regular buying a Bitcoin without even thinking about it. I'm yet to see a better and easier interface for buying Bitcoin too. They've absolutely killed it with the app. And I do always want to just say a massive shout out to Cameron and Tyler. I'm always reaching out to them, sending them ideas, and they're fully open to hearing them, which is very cool. Love working with Gemini, but if you want to check it out, please do head over to Gemini.com, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com. Next up, we have BlockFi, the future of Bitcoin and financial services, who offer a range of products for Bitcoiners. So firstly, with a BlockFi interest account, you can earn yield on your Bitcoin. I've been a customer for nearly two years now. It might even be two years. Yeah, because it's May. And I love having my Bitcoin work for me. Also, with BlockFi, you can get a Bitcoin-backed loan. So you could borrow against your Bitcoin without even selling it. And as you know, 
imminently they're about to launch the BlockFi Rewards credit card, which is going to offer you 1.5% rewards back on all card purchases. If you are interested in checking BlockFi out, I recommend you do your own research, then head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. And lastly, this week is Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now, a hardware wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin. And I've been a Ledger customer since 2017, and I am still using the Nano S I bought back then. Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin using their Ledger Live software, which interfaces directly with your device. Also, if you are an Android user, you can connect your Nano S to your phone to manage your Bitcoin on the go. If you want to find out more, head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Yeah, it's pretty interesting that you, back in 2015, you were willing to make that bet early on. I guess, you, like you say, you saw the uh, asymmetric opportunity. Uh, many other people at similar times have written it off and still continue to write it off. Traditional investors, I mean, Ray Dalio has just come around. I think he said recently that people should have 20% of their portfolio in Bitcoin. Um, but we we do know Warren Buffett, uh, is it Charlie Munger? Who, who, he worked, did they work together? Kind they of do. They, they're they've, long-term friends, yep. Yeah. And, and both, 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 both of those gentlemen are very, very bright people. And people should pay Great attention investors. to what they say. And and I, I'm a long-term fan of both Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett. And I think they're incredibly astute and great investors. But, but what, um, did you, what, did, what did you see that they didn't? Or what are they missing, do you think? Well, listen, I, I think, you know, Warren Buffett will tell you that, you know, he wants to understand things, um, his circle of competence. And I would say he probably is challenged turning on his computer in the morning. He probably has it done by somebody else. So he may not be thinking through and, and living in that kind of reality that money has migrated to a digital world. And people are, that are much, much younger than he is and young, much younger than I am are comfortable living in a, in a digital world. Um, so I don't think he has an appreciation for that. And again, you don't need, my belief is still today, if you made Bitcoin a 1% position and it fulfills its problem by becoming ultimately the world's reserve currency, that 1% position could ultimately dominate your portfolio, even if you're a very wealthy person. And given a long enough time horizon, it's probably going, if you don't sell and you don't try to trade trade around it, it's ultimately going to dominate your portfolio um, if, if it ultimately, if the world migrates to the Bitcoin standard. Um, this kind of idea of a Bitcoin standard has been around for some time, uh, especially since Safedine's book. Uh, it's a fantastic book. Um, but I still want to go back to 2015. What has surprised you about Bitcoin? Like, you obviously had your original thesis and you were willing to invest. We're now six years later, a very different world. We have Tesla invested. We've had everything Micah Saylor's done. We have a lot of institutional products. We have very healthy futures and uh, a futures market. Like, But has anything surprised you? Did any part of your original thesis, you, did you get any of that wrong? No. I, 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 again, I, would, I tell anyone that I meet um, today, there's some dollar amount. So, so for some people, it's $26. For others, somebody else, it might be $182,000. That if that one, if Bitcoin went to zero, it wouldn't impact your life at all. That's the minimum amount that you should have exposed to Bitcoin. What really changed and what changed for me in a very dramatic way was the response to COVID. And okay. I was actually, I was short volatility and the trade went against me dramatically because the markets became very volatile back in March of, of 2020. And I started to delever one of my portfolios. And I'm selling things. And as I'm selling them, I realize that there is now stability in the, in the assets that I'm selling. Normally, I would think I would need to sell a lot more. And it's because the government has decided to go out and buy up bonds. And they... Mm created a bottom, a floor for the market, not only created a floor, the bonds rebounded very quickly. So I said, okay, there's now, they, if you're on the right side of this, this Cantillon effect, i.e. this money printing, you're going to do reasonably well. And I said, that's not a world, that's not the way the world is supposed to operate. That's not the way capitalism is supposed to operate. If you make a mistake, you're supposed to pay the price for it through the loss of capital. And I wasn't forced to make that mistake or pay that price, if you will. And I said, okay, this is not good for anybody. This is not good for society. And 
now you see things like the Reddit community. They can take GameStop up to this. It's, it's, it's turned the capital markets into a casino in a way that I never would have envisioned. And mm-hmm. I think it's, it's undermined and eroded a lot of the confidence in the established institutions. And I think there's, you need to protect yourself against that potential that that continues to go down that path. And I think it will because they're, they haven't delevered. In fact, they're going to print more money in 2021. And there's going to be some other crisis and they're going to do the same thing. And you want some portion of your wealth outside of that system. And Bitcoin is that. So I've, I've not only taken the small position that I initially took, I've started to migrate a lot of my own personal wealth more to that, to that world. Um, so that's how much confidence I have in it now. Yeah, I'm similar, Peter. I mean, I, um, I started really properly investing in early 2017. But over this last year, I've essentially put all my money in Bitcoin because um, I have so little confidence in the pound. Uh, but I also have little confidence in the dollar. Uh, and a lot of my uh, income is affected by, by the dollar as well. Um, and it's, it's one of those interesting things where you kind of that, that gradually then suddenly uh, moment. But there are, pe- Peter, there are still people who, who don't believe in Bitcoin, right? And there are people probably in your world, maybe people you talk to uh, on a daily basis, other investors that you, you've got to know. Why do you think there are some people who still have this kind of like aversion to Bitcoin? So, so I think the, um, most of it is they haven't done any type of homework. Right. They they right. read the headlines. Uh, they read something. It's captures there. It's you know, it's Bitcoin is going to cause the world to melt down because of all the electricity it's using. And that's the extent of their research and their understanding. And listen, I, I'll be perfectly frank. I didn't really think a lot about the money supply, the, the, the monetary system until really the outbreak of COVID. I had I had my own Michael Saylor moment. In fact, Michael Saylor mm-hmm. basically got me there a little bit faster. I had already had exposure to Bitcoin. I had already made 30, 40 times my money in Bitcoin. And, and let's say I made a 2% position and it became a sizable position in my portfolios. But then I started thinking through what the implications are. And when you go down the various asset classes, there's not many asset classes that could save you the way that Bitcoin can. And I think people mm-hmm. are just lazy and they're not paying attention to what's happening. And Ultimately, they're going to they're, they'll be hurt if we're right about that. They're going to be hurt by that, and eventually, if, if we're again, if we're right, ultimately they're going to move over to the standard and they'll just buy it at a much higher price. Yeah, you don't want to be the last one. You don't want to be the last one joining the Bitcoin train. Um, okay, that's that's. I mean, that's that's really interesting. I, I, I'm still intrigued by people. I mean, I've been talking to my friends for years about this, and I still I still can't. I still can't convince them, uh, but I think, like you're saying, it's it's one of those things where they're going to see it themselves. We're seeing uh, uh, small amounts of inflation. We're seeing we're seeing slight hints of it here now, here in the UK. Um, the early kind of signs. Uh, I was chatting to a friend of mine who's a plumber. He said all his materials are up ten ten percent now. Everything is up ten percent. He said I've got to put my prices up ten percent. So we are starting. That, that's to see probably that. just since the start of the year, right? Twenty twenty one, right? And and yeah. and again, most of those materials are petroleum based. And what's really happening is that people aren't paying attention that the the oversupply that we had as a result of COVID has been drawn down very aggressively. And as the world turns back on, you're going to realize the supply may not be there to meet the demand. And then you could be talking instead of you know the supplies and material costs being up ten percent, could be up 40 percent by the end of the year. And then you, you call somebody in to, to fix your pipe, and what you thought was going to be a two hundred dollar job is now a five hundred and fifty dollar job. So that's that's the world I think we're about to enter. But what, why do you? Th- I mean, if if Max is right, the potential collapse of currencies, and he may or may not be right, and it depends whether it's a you know, five, ten, fifteen, twenty. I mean, it, you know, different values, and it'll, it'll impact people differently. But I mean, there must be economists sat there within uh, the government. You know, explaining this to the policymakers, explaining this to the people who make the decisions. Why do you think they're ha- like ha- continuing headstrong to print money, knowing this is eventual outcome? Yeah, so so their authority, their power, their prestige is all wedded to a system that they're yeah. looking to protect, right? Um, and that's that's really a lot of it. So if, you know, Charlie Munger, I think, is a great quote: "You show me the incentive, and I'll show you the what I'll anticipate what the action is going to be." So 
you know, really a, a very, and I think we're going to see it in the not too distant future. If somebody from some nation could actually use the dollars that they're legally allowed to print or they're, they're able to print and started buying the bit, Bitcoin, they could become a, you know, well-monetized nation and possibly basically, you know, dictate how things are priced and, and how goods are traded in the future by moving that to the Bitcoin standard. So now I wish it was the U.S. Treasury. I wish the U.S. Treasury was doing that and uh, I would fully back that. But at some point, you know, we have a lot of economic adversaries, if you will, that would love to, to get away from the dollar standard. And, you know, they, whether they move it to the Chinese digital currency or some other type of currency, let's, let's, let's be the largest holder of Bitcoin and bit, let Bitcoin become the standard. And we could basically potentially get out of this debt crisis uh, in, in, a, in pretty short order if, that, if they embrace that. But I don't think they so far in the United States, it doesn't look like anyone's willing to do that. Yeah. Although there's no incentive to admit they are perhaps accumulating silently because uh, I think you create a, a, essentially a, like an arms race for Bitcoin once you declare to the market that you're accumulating as a nation. Uh, I mean, I'm with you. I, I always think whichever the first nation is, perhaps somebody is doing it, they essentially become the micro strategy of nations, that first mover advantage. Um, but I just don't think there's an, there's an incentive for Michael Saylor to now uh, teach the world about Bitcoin and teach teach uh, CEOs and large businesses why they should be considering Bitcoin. But I think there's a lot lower incentive for nation states to do this. Yeah, well, that, that's where they derive their power. So they, they would lose that authority, that power uh, would take away from that. So anytime that's going to occur, they're going to fight that or they're going to resist it in a way. Um, but I think, I think the train has already left the station and ultimately the world is going to move that way. It's just a question of how fast it occurs. Um, is it I don't think it's going to be by the end of the summer, but is it three years, five years? You know, every every nation in the world is ultimately going to have a digital currency. And mm -hmm. they want that for reasons that they can, you know, take interest rates down below. You can't demonetize the system with a digital currency. Uh, so I think that China's just the first, but you're going to see it across Europe. You're going to see it in the United States, ultimately. Um, the question is, do you keep your savings or your the bulk of your wealth in Bitcoin. And then when you need to transact, you move it over to the local digital currency of, of that particular country, which I think is probably so, the way the world's going to go. So, so have you found that this has shifted you um, politically or philosophically, like your views on central banking, your views on the state? I've just listened to a, a fantastic four-hour interview between Lex Friedman and Robert Breedlove. And Robert Breedlove makes a very... Yeah, you know, through the whole interview, there's a there's an undertone of the moral case for Bitcoin and why inflation is. Uh, I think he called it a, a cancer on society. Um, have you found that you've had a shift yourself? I'm not saying you've become an anarchist or a full libertarian, but have you found yourself shifting with this? Yeah, listen, I I would I would always opt for the best, most fair system, and yeah. to me, I think that as you study Bitcoin, you come to the conclusion that's a likely uh, best system. So absolutely, I, I would be in favor of it. And philosophically, um, I'm on board with that. And, and again, as I've learned more and I've read more and I've listened to Robert Breedlove and Michael Saylor, et cetera, I, th their thinking, I think, is very sound. And I think it would be better for humanity if ultimately we adopted mm -hmm. this. Um, I think, again, I think ultimately that's going to happen. It's just a question of how fast. How fast do you think? <laughs> I, I think fast. I think, you know, again, there could be some, as you, as you mentioned, there's no real incentive for a country to come out and say that. But if, if, if it ever became known that some country was using its printing press to basically buy Bitcoin, you would see that the price could jump up very dramatically. So my guess is that you're going to start, you will see in some point in the future, I'm not promising this or guaranteeing this, but you're going to start seeing some real spikes as a result of the the supply is being sucked out of the market by people that are real believers. The demand has continued to grow. And the ultimate supply is fixed. And the correcting mechanism is the price. So that's why I'm, I ultimately believe a single Bitcoin will go to some number into the, into the millions easily. But how it gets there from point A to point B, I don't know. 
So anyone holding one Bitcoin would be in a very fortunate position. It's true. Um, the question is, what when you convert that back into the dollars, what does the dollar buy you at that point? Exactly. Right? You, you, you want to, you're interested in two things. You're interested in the return that you get and then ultimately what, what that money will ultimately buy you. Yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. Um, I still th- I still think there's some people who are struggling with that idea that sovereign currencies such as the pound and the dollar or the euro can collapse because I, I think we've, I mean, someone like myself, it's always existed. Yes, um, you know, we've been through massive inflation over my lifetime, but it's so slow and insidious. You don't really notice it. Yeah, I, I'll I'll take exception with that statement because the, okay. the dollar and the, the dollar and the pound have already collapsed relative to Bitcoin. Okay, okay. Yes, it's course, not so yeah. much that Bitcoin has gone up; it's that actually it now requires you more dollars to buy a single Bitcoin than it did five years ago, substantially more. I would say a collapse. And the question is, how how much further does that occur? And my guess is it's going to occur in a very dramatic fashion, even from here. So I think it's still very cheap. And ultimately, it would, it's going to cost you $2 million, $5 million, $10 million for a single Bitcoin. And it's, it's, people, aren't, people are looking at it like Bitcoin is rising. I'm, just, I'm looking at it at people are losing confidence in the, the currency of that particular country. And now it requires a lot more of that currency to buy you a single Bitcoin. I'm not, I'm not sure I agree 100% there. Will you say the dollar or the pound has collapsed against Bitcoin? <sighs> I find that hard to I find that hard to agree with because it has the 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 prices of standard goods of you know if I go shopping they, you know they haven't dramatically increased they they have in terms of bitcoin but that to me you could you could flip that alternatively and just say look recognition of these future collapsing currencies people are speculating and then buying but I would say to to say the dollar's collapsed against the bitcoin I I think I don't know. I, I think I would just say, yeah, I don't buy. I don't buy that one. Sorry. Well, what's what's happening? You're you're looking at it from a standpoint of I'm paying. I'm still paying in pounds. So things mm-hmm. haven't really risen that much in pounds. But every every asset that you went out has collapsed relative to the price of Bitcoin, right? So it you know take take an asset that costs sixty thousand dollars, right? And you bought Bitcoin in March at four thousand dollars. A single Bitcoin that costs you four thousand now can buy you something sixty thousand dollars in U.S. dollars, so it's collapsed in price. So that that's really what's. So it doesn't. People people look at it as if the if Bitcoin is going up dramatically. My 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 thing is turn it upside down, and it's really now is that the dollar, the pound, the euro, the yen, etc. It requires much more of those currencies to buy a single Bitcoin than it did in March of twenty twenty. And yeah, I believe, see, that's what, yeah, sorry, that's that's where I see is just the price of bitcoins going up and getting more expensive, a unit level to to buy because if relative, you know, this is about relativity, relative to the pound, you know, everything that was sixty thousand dollars five years ago is is fairly close to that price still, right? But 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 relative to bitcoin, it's 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 not there, right? So everything, yeah. every asset that you're interested, in, almost every asset that you're interested in buying is cheaper in Bitcoin today than it was a, a year ago, even six months ago. So those, those relative prices are much cheaper today than they were you know, three, three months ago, six months ago, five years ago. And my guess is that they're going to get cheaper in Bitcoin terms looking out into the future. That's where we face that ever problem. When do you spend your Bitcoin? <laughs> do you ever spend your Bitcoin? <laughs> the answer is... Um, you know, you want to live your life, right? You it, yeah. and, and part of it is is that money is meant to, you know, not to just co- merely collect. Is is you want it, it buys you freedom. It buys you, you know, a lifestyle that you desire. Um, so it, it buys you potentially health, better health care, etc. So there's there's definitely times that you should let go of some of your Bitcoin. I haven't come across that. I'm letting go of my more <laughs> traditional assets um, because I still think we're in the very early stages of that. But at some point, if, if the world migrates to a Bitcoin standard and Bitcoin is deemed to be this better store of value, then all of the other nominal stores of value are going to get sucked into the value in, and create the value for Bitcoin. At some point, Bitcoin is not going to rise that dramatically. And it's going to r- rise relative to how much the other currencies debase themselves on an annual basis. 
but we're a long, long way from that. So you can take a, you know, think about all of the money supply, all of the short-term treasury bills, do it in, in every country around the world. That's the potential market for Bitcoin. There shouldn't be an arbitrage between the two. They should actually have more or less the same valuation. And then on an annual basis, Bitcoin will rise relative to if the United States is debasing their currency by 7%, Bitcoin should go up 7%. But from you know a trillion dollar market cap today to maybe a $150 trillion market cap, you can make a, a heck of a lot of money. Right. So you, okay, you see it going that big. So do you also see the the hyper-Bitcoinization story whereby perhaps sovereign currencies die and Bitcoin just becomes the currency that people use? No, I don't, I don't think any nation is going to give up their currency. I think you're going to have many, many competing currencies um, and you're going to have, so Bitcoin is going to coexist with the US dollar digital coin and the euro digital coin, et cetera. Um, they're, they're never going to give up that. Uh, and, and, but I think in terms of a store of value is, is really what those currencies are going to collapse relative to Bitcoin. And there shouldn't be an arbitrage. There shouldn't be this opportunity. If everyone woke up tomorrow and said, Bitcoin is by far the best store of value. I should move my money out of Japanese treasuries, U.S. treasury bills, cash, et cetera, and move it into there. The price of Bitcoin would immediately go to some very high number. And then it's only going to rise relative to how those currencies on an ongoing basis devalue themselves and how much money printing they do. But we're, we're in the very early, early stages. So in a baseball analogy, we're really still in, I'm not even sure we're in the first inning. Uh, we're, we're basically the players are just getting to the stadium. That's how early I still think we are. And I say that, and the price of Bitcoin went from a penny to 60, roughly 55,000, I guess, today. But where it ultimately could go to is just staggering. Yeah, it's, 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 it's quite hard to comprehend, actually. <laughs> um, what about metals then? I mean, you must have invested gold in the past. Uh, you must have recognized gold as a store of value. Do you think gold is uh, l- losing its place to Bitcoin? Or do you think it will sit alongside Bitcoin? I, I know Peter Schiff isn't a fan of it. We have him up here. So, yes. Uh, so my colleague makes, I think, a very valid point. There's a case that you can make that if the global internet went down, Bitcoin wouldn't have much value, right? If you couldn't mm-hmm. get access to the, the internet on, on a global scale and you needed some type of money to get out of a country or something like that, it would be worthwhile to have some gold or silver coins and things like that. So I don't think I don't think that gold is going to be demonetized 100%, but I could see how it could be demonetized a very significant amount from here. We never particularly like gold companies because there's a lot of production risk. So we owned a lot of the royalty companies, and we, we recently started a fund, an ETF here in, this, in the United States, that is hoping to benefit maybe greatly if inflation comes back, but would do relatively well even if inflation doesn't come back. Could actually have a full cycle, meaningful return, but potentially have an extraordinary rate of return if inflation really comes back. And and what I mean by that is we're trying to find companies that really have very light balance sheets, not a lot of assets, but they derive a lot of their revenues from those types of commodities or trading or something like that. And they can pass through or they or the operationally they scale in a much better way. Um, so the one of the problems with inflation is that maybe you can pass along the cost to your customers of 10%, or, or you can raise your prices 10%, but your costs go up 12%. And now, instead of, you know, even though your price is 10% higher, you're actually making less money. You need to find companies, and I think we've done very well with this. We, we've found companies where we really think that if that world comes, they're going to basically be the true beneficiaries of that inflationary world. And they're not going to be hurt by the cost um, because operationally they actually have very little in the way of assets. See, for a lot of people, there's a lot to think about here. Um, there's a lot of smart investors in the world. I, I, I'm pretty sure they don't listen to my my podcast. It's probably um, better podcast than that. But there's a lot of people. You know, I, I always talk about my friends who are uh, probably don't fully comprehend what's going on around us, despite me 
telling them, hey, you should read this and you should try to understand what's going on with inflation, the central banks and money printed. Um, but it's a lot to it's a lot to take in. I also, there's a certain amount of people who don't have a huge amount of disposable income. Perhaps they own their home. Um, you know, maybe they've got a couple of kids. What kind of advice would you give to people you know, heading into this wall, not even heading in, within this current environment, if they were wanting to plan for the next 10, 15, 20 years, um, and they don't have a background in investing like you, and they probably can't read markets like yourself, are there simple investing tips you would give to people? Yeah, yeah there is, actually. I don't, I don't think you have to have great brain power to be a good investor. You have to have a couple of things. You have to be in control of your emotions, and you have okay. to understand... Yeah. And you have to understand business operations. So there's certain business operations that have just wonderful characteristics, meaning that when they earn a dollar, they can put that full dollar in their pocket and they don't have to reinvest a lot to, to basically remain competitive. So certain businesses, they may report a dollar's worth of earnings, but then they have to turn around and spend a dollar just to remain competitive. So it's, it's kind of prosperity, but it's not real prosperity. Other business, I'll use, I'll use one of Warren Buffett's early investments, a company called Seas Candy. And he bought the company for $25 million. And a couple of, you know, maybe two decades later, the company was throwing off operating income of $400 million. And it was wow. this tremendous brand. And the cost of the equipment is not very high. And you don't have to replace it that frequently. So any money that he really earned, he could either keep for himself or he could expand the business and, and make it grow and, and produce more profits. So that's really what you need to look for. You need to look for companies that have great operating characteristics and predictability. And then you just need to have patience. So I think actually a very average investor could beat most of the pros if they selected a, a basket of stocks and then left it alone, went on vacation for 15 years and never touched it. What they would find is that they would find that they made some mistakes. They had a bunch of average investments, and then they had two or three great investments. And those great investments grew and now dominate the overall portfolio and outperform most of the professionals. So one of the, one of the things that we do is, um, as investors, we have very low turnover. We're, we think we own something great. And I'll, I'll even apply this to Bitcoin, except Bitcoin doesn't have operating characteristics. If you think you own something great, leave it alone. Let the business prove you right with the passage of time. So that's what I would say to your friends and, and somebody that, that doesn't have a background. And then I would say that right now, you need to be thinking about that more probably than ever. Because if, if the world is really going to go through an inflationary period of time because of scarcity of commodities, et cetera, you need to find those companies that can benefit from that but don't get hurt from the cost structure that might rise as a result of that, of that higher inflation. Can you give me some examples or one or two examples of the type of companies you're thinking about right now? Sure. That, would, um, that fit that. One, one of our biggest companies, uh, biggest positions is a company called Texas Pacific Land Trust. And Texas okay. Pacific Land Trust has been around since 1880s. And if you look at the performance over the last, pick any time period, really, one year, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 50 years, you would see that it has done extraordinarily well. And the reason for that is it essentially cashed checks, or it did up until fairly recently. Uh, that was their only business. So if somebody wanted to graze cattle on their land, they would pay them a check. If somebody wanted to drill on their land, they would pay them a check. If somebody wanted to lay a pipeline on their land, they would, they would pay a check. So you don't need a lot of employees, and there's not a lot of expense to cash a check. So you look at the operating characteristics of that company, and it rivals the best monopolies in the world. Okay. And now the, they happen to sit on an ocean of, or the, the land that they get royalties from oil, there's an ocean of oil down there, and it's among the most secure and easiest, easiest and low cost to extract. And the price of oil is going to do what it's going to do. It's going to go up and down. And some years they'll cash bigger checks, some years smaller. So they can use that cash flow. They can pay a dividend or they can buy back their shares. And that's what they've done. And if you held that stock, you know, I tell anyone who even today, but I would have told you the same thing 20 years ago, you should buy a couple of thousand dollars of this if you have a child 
And by the time that child goes to college, that couple of thousand dollars will pay for your the college education because of the compounding effect. So that's that's right. a perfect example. A more kind of recognizable example is if you look at the various exchanges. So the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, the Chicago Board of uh, Options Exchange, et cetera. Generally, the liquidity for a particular uh, product centers around one exchange. So it tends to be an oligopolistic or monopolistic contract or product. And exchanges are really technological platforms, right? They're computers talking to one another. And the more volume that you put through there, the more the profitability because the marginal cost is virtually zero. So I would own the exchanges. If you think they're going to continue to, to inflate the money stock, more money sloshing around trading, the exchanges benefit dramatically from as a result of that. And they, there's really no cost. They don't have to pay their, their employees more. They don't have to add another 50 people because there's another billion dollars of daily trading. So those are, those are companies that just have wonderful, wonderful business characteristics. And again, this is right out of a page of Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger. Find those things that are understandable, likely to be used five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now. Pay a reasonable or fair price for it and leave it alone. And, and you'll end up doing extraordinarily well. And maybe chuck a little bit of Bitcoin in there. Definitely chuck a little bit of Bitcoin in there. <laughs> chuck, chuck a little bit. Bitcoin might... is something, you know, Bitcoin is not, is not something that you can value on cash flow. It's not anything like that. It's, it's whether or not you believe this is going to become the new store of value, the new kind of world reserve currency. And I think it has a very, very legitimate chance of that happening. So, I, I, again, asymmetrically, the upside is so large. You know what you can lose. You can lose 100%, right? Upside could be literally in the, it's still from here, even in the thousands of percent. So definitely worth having some small amount at a minimum. I wish I'd met you in 2015 and had this conversation. Well, you know, as my children tell me, <laughs> you know, knowing about this dad does not really make you that interesting. Um, but I do, I do have, I, I literally have this conversation probably four or five times a day with strangers that I meet. I say, I'm going to do you a favor today. I'm going to introduce you to Bitcoin. And I tell them about that. And I, and I go, your kids are out. This... <laughs> your kids, your kids, your are, kids out. are out of order. No, you're out of, they're out of order. I, I think my, my kids think I'm pretty cool because I got into Bitcoin. <laughs> I, have, I, have a great, I have a great relationship with my children. They, they like to give me a hard time and I give them a hard time too sometimes. Well, listen, if you've got more Bitcoin than them, they, uh, they need to be nice to you. <laughs> Okay, are there any like final thoughts you want to leave with people? You know, these are strange times. It is, uh, it is mildly concerning that you know currencies could collapse because um, I spoke to somebody in Lebanon during well, not long after their collapse of their currency, uh, and and, it, and it's awful. Like these are troubling times. Um, any any warm words you can give people? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, from a philosophical standpoint, find the things that you that bring you joy and bring you happiness and pursue those. And, you know, obviously continue to expand your horizons and don't be closed off to things. What, what I really found from, a, and it sounds like you, you had a similar experience and continue to have a similar experience is that people seem very closed off to things and they have very strong opinions about things that they know very little about. Hmm. And that's not a recipe for either happiness or an understanding of the world around you. Um, so, you know, I, th- I think everyone is different. Everyone has their own joys, and but you should pursue those. And, you know, I would definitely, if you haven't taken the plunge into Bitcoin um, or you don't understand it or, or you haven't given it a, a true fair shake, take the time and, and, and look into it. And I think, I think do, you'll walk away saying, I really need to be involved with this. Do the work. Don't be scared of the price. Okay, Peter, look, if people want to find out a bit more about yourself or Horizon Kinetics, how, how do they do that? Sure. We have a, a great website, uh, horizonkinetics.com, and we, we've written a lot of great um, articles, and principally my colleague Murray Stahl has written a lot of great articles on cryptocurrency and Bitcoin um, and other research there. And it, it goes into a lot of the uh, products that we have. So, you know, I'm not a natural salesperson, but I think we do pretty interesting stuff, and I think it's worth paying attention to what we're saying right now. Right. Well, I'll, I'll ping that into the show notes. Yeah, always good to talk to another Peter. Uh, really enjoyed this. And look, fingers crossed with Bitcoin. 
I think uh, I think you made a shrewd early bet there. I wish I was as early, but um, I, I think we're all going to be rewarded. Uh, and I wish you the best and have a, have a great rest of this year. Thank you, Peter. I appreciate that and really enjoyed myself. And I, I still think we're it's so early. Um, so if, if people are listening to this, it's, it's not late. Um, you don't need to buy a whole Bitcoin. You can buy a fraction of a Bitcoin. And that fraction of a Bitcoin could ultimately provide you with tremendous financial uh, safety if, if, you, if you do it. I support that message. Okay, man. Listen, you take care. You too. All right. How bullish was that one? Bitcoin is not even in the first innings yet. You've got to love that. As I said in the intro, this was a really nice follow-up for the conversation I had with Lynn that went out on Monday. So if you haven't checked that out, it's definitely worth a listen. Anyway, as ever, thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch, you can jump into my Telegram group or you can hit me up on hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Also, if you love the show, if you're a regular listener and you've never left me a review on Apple Podcasts, please go and do that. It really helps with the show rankings. Apart from that, I'm out in El Salvador. I'm chilling, getting some sunshine before I head over to Miami, into the US to come and see all you crazy savages. I've got a party planned for Miami. Got a 20K bar bill that we can use. Very excited to meet some of you in person. It's going to be awesome. Outside of that, have a great rest of your week and I'll see you all on Friday. Love you all. Take care. Bye.